0: no better day to celebrate Father's Day. So to all the new dads, happy Father's Day. And we were just out there saying, if you're a dog dad, does that count? That counts. If you're, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will say happy Father's Day to all the dog dads. <laughs> um, but yeah, happy Father's Day. And if uh, if you don't have kids and you've been a father figure to someone, happy Father's Day. If you have discipled someone uh, as a spiritual father, happy Father's Day. Uh, it's good to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, like Fred said, uh, we're going to be going through the Book of Psalms, uh, five psalms in the next five week, uh, next five weeks, um, and this week we're going to be in Psalm sixty-three. Uh, But before I get into the psalm, I just want to give some context and some background. Um, And I just love the transition going from uh, the book of Mark, as we're pumping the brakes on it, into uh, the psalms, as we are wanting to grow in intimacy with Jesus uh, through prayer and other means. Uh, But I just love that transition because this psalm specifically, uh, just as Jesus has highlighted uh, a lot of times, He's not, in this psalm, given us a list of rules. Uh, He's not given us um, uh, moral guidelines for what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Uh, But instead, he uh, echoes off of this idea that Jesus really hammers home that we've been seeing um, is the fact that Jesus, although he cares about what you do and what you say and how you act, um, Jesus is ultimately after your heart. Um, and to get into the most and deepest parts of who you are. And I love how Fred defines the heart, which is your innermost thoughts. So we're going to see that in the psalm. Again, we're not going to see a rule book. We're going to see a man, David, who is the writer of the psalm. And we're going to get a little bit of context into um, what he's going through and what place that it is that he's writing this from and really see David's heart. What is David's heart? As he's writing this. Um, so before we get into it, uh, there's a couple of possibilities in Psalm 63 um, for the context that David's in, for what is happening in his life right now. And I want to give you both options that we know of, and I'm going to stick with the first one because I think it's the first one, but you can make up your mind. Um, and the first option is, it's written in First and Second Samuel, David, at this point in writing Psalm 63, he's... Uh, probably, most likely, at a point in life where he has just been uh, found by the prophet Samuel because there's a king, his name is Saul, and Saul turns away from God, and so God says, I want to anoint and ultimately enthrone another king instead of Saul, Uh, and then Samuel says, uh, God says to Samuel, go and choose my anointed. So he goes to this household, and you've got all these brothers And then Samuel goes up to one, and he says, it's this guy, right? Uh, He's tall, he's strong, he's the oldest, all this stuff. And God says, nope, oh, it's this guy. And he goes down the line of all the brothers, and David's out there with the sheep. He's not even in line in the house. And then David gets brought in, um, and then Samuel says, this guy, uh, he's tiny, he's young. Scholars believe between the ages of 12 and 19, somewhere in there. Um, And then this is again where uh, God hammers home the point, And he says that while man, us, we look on the outside, God looks on the heart, and he chooses David. So at this point, David is this newly anointed uh, guy who is about to become king. And that's where you hear the Goliath story. If you grew up in church, you know the Goliath story. He throws a rock, hits him right in the forehead, kills this massive dude, goes off into war, And that's where the songs start happening about David, where Saul begins to get jealous. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, he's killed his tens of thousands. And you have this heart that's juxtaposed to David's, where Saul is angry, and he's jealous, and he wants to kill David. On the other hand, David, um, even though he can kill Saul, he chooses not to. And instead, he chooses to run away from Saul because he has respect for God's anointed uh, Saul. And so as he's running away, in one of those places uh, the Bible tells us that he runs away to is this wilderness of Judah where this psalm is being written by David. So That's option number one, young, newly anointed David. I'm going to stick with that one. Uh, Option number two is not young David. This is now old David. This is David that has been enthroned, he's been king for a while, he's gone through the whole uh, fiasco with Bathsheba, he's repented of his sin, he has now had sons, and one of his sons, named Absalom, has now grown. So at this point, David's probably like 50, 60, maybe 70. He's not, you know, a 15, 16 year old kid. And at this point, Whereas before Saul was chasing him, a father-like figure, now you have his own son, Absalom, uh, chasing David, his own father. And again, same thing as with Saul. Even though he has the opportunity uh, to kill his son for defying the king, he doesn't. And instead, he chooses to uh, flee from his son, and he goes into the wilderness of Judah. So in both cases, you have David being unjustifiably pursued. And then in both cases, he chooses to show love, which is an outflow of his heart. And he goes into the wilderness of Judah. For the sake of uh, following track, I'm going to choose the first option. This is young, newly anointed uh, David. Um, And I've got my reasons through my research to land on that, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, I like what Charles Spurgeon says about the Psalm. He's quoting, and Charles Spurgeon is one of the best preachers ever, Uh, definitely of the past couple hundred years, and he says this, uh, quoting a church father. Charles Spurgeon says this, Chrysostom, a church father, tells us that among the primitive Christians, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. Uh, So the early Christians uh, paid much attention to the psalm, and I think that we should too. Let's get into it. Psalm 63, I'm going to read verse 1. It says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul. Thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So David is coming out of a place where uh, he's just been freshly, newly anointed, He's supposed to be king. He's gone through some victories. And instead of being enthroned like he was just said he was supposed to be, uh, he's instead being chased by Saul. And he goes into the wilderness. And I feel like if there's anybody at this point that can have some sort of uh, complaining spirit, some sort of um, uh, dissatisfaction with where God has him, it could be David. Because it doesn't seem consistent that for God to say, you're going to be king, great. And then some guy's trying to murder you. Those two things really don't seem like they quite align right. So I feel like David's first response can justifiably be, why is this happening? But the first thing that comes out of the mouth of David is, oh God, Elohim, Yahweh, proclamation of, there's all these other little g-gods, but, You are God. And not only that, we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about wanting to grow in our prayer life. He says, you are my God. The first thing that comes out of David's mouth is the proclamation of who God is and that he knows this God personally. And he says that his flesh faints, his soul thirsts, and he earnestly seeks God. Now, he can at this point, again, earnestly seek, thirst for, and his flesh faint for a bunch of other things, the kingdom, safety, uh, being with his family, so on and so forth. But the first thing that he says is, God, you are my God, and out of all these things that are here, I thirst and I faint for you. And he says, as in a dry and weary land, which is kind of odd, because he's like, in the wilderness, in an actually dry and weary land. Um, I am half Arabic, and I grew up in Jordan until I was like like 9 or 10. And uh, if you've ever been, the wilderness of Judah is actually like 10 miles away from Jordan. And if you've ever been over there in that region, you know it is dry land. Um, it is hot. And what he's going through, uh, he's not in some sort of oasis. In fact, Lauren and I, we were just uh, in Texas a couple of weeks ago. And it was 105. And uh, while we were there, we were like, man, this is, this is really hot. But the thing in Texas is there's rivers, and we're inside, there's AC. David has no AC. David has no rivers. And in that place, regardless, the biggest thing that he cries out for is not the fact that there's no water, that it's hot, that he's being pursued by this guy who he's only doing good two, the first thing that is the heart response of David is, even though I am physically thirsty, my first concern right now is I am spiritually thirsting for you, God. And that is a conclusion that he comes to before we get through the rest of the psalm. Because the rest of the psalm is praise, which is crazy. It's praise in a wilderness while being chased by the guy who you're only doing good to. It doesn't make any sense, um, but it makes sense for David. So he says that his soul thirsts for, his flesh faints for, uh, and he's earnestly seeking uh, God. And verse number two, as he's expressing his thirst, this is what he says. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So as David uh, is in this difficult circumstance, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is proclamation of his thirst for God, and then he goes into and begins to praise God. So my question for you, my question for us, um, as we're going through this, and as he proclaims that in verse one, is what are the things in our life um, that we have thirsted for, that we our flesh faints for, and we have earnestly sought Uh, besides God? That's going to be the sharing time question as we're going through this. What are the things that we have desired more or instead of God? Because as we get through the rest of the psalm where he, again in this terrible place, is absolutely 100% satisfied with God and with God alone and not under circumstance, we can't, we cannot be satisfied with God until we thirst for God. It's like the same thing that I hear when I've talked to people about Jesus, and, and I'll tell them, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And sometimes I'll get the response, like, I didn't ask him to die for me. I didn't ask him to get on the cross for me. And the problem in that kind of comprehension is the fact that you don't recognize that you need him. You don't recognize that you need God. So if, if there's no thirst for God, how is God going to satisfy you? How is God going to be what David talks about here, uh, the the reason for his joy? So I want us to look at some uh, practical steps that David takes as he's thirsting for God, as he's praising God, as he's he's being satisfied in God, and ultimately he finds rest in God. Uh, The words that he uses uh, should draw our attention uh, to how we can model what David is doing. He says, I have looked upon you in verse 2, beholding your power and your glory. And then in verse 6, he says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So I feel like there are two dangers when wanting to encounter intimacy with God that we can run into that I think David gives us a really, really clear segue into doing. One of those dangers is well, I'm not thirsting for God right now. So I'm just gonna manufacture it. I'm just gonna make it up. Here I am, I'm thirsting for you. And it's like this fake response where maybe you could fake out the people that are around you and you can even maybe fake out yourself, uh, but you can't fake out God. God knows your heart. He knows what's here. And he knows that David is thoroughly and wholeheartedly after him. And so this idea of manufacturing thirst uh, that's something that we need to toss. Uh, the other extreme, I think, though, is to, is to sit there and say, uh, when I'm ready, I will start to thirst for God and then be satisfied in him. I think if that's the approach, to be honest, I think that's never going to happen um, because in the verses it says, to earnestly seek the words that he tells us, behold, meditate. Uh, so he gives us clear uh, points. But I think uh, the key here and how we connect uh, our thirst for God and our satisfaction in him is uh, what David is kind of touching on just a little bit, and he, vent- uh, he mentions it um, in, verse, uh, in verse two. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. So David, Old Testament, they have a tabernacle, they have uh, a sanctuary, and that's where, the pa- that's where the presence of God is. The presence of God cannot, under the old covenant, be outside of there. That's why when they're walking through the wilderness, they have to carry, kind of weird, they have to carry God with them. But that's what the presence of God was. And so here he's doing something that's kind of odd. Because he's not in Jerusalem. He's outside of Jerusalem. He's in the wilderness. And as he's in the wilderness, under this old covenant, he's saying, As I have done in the sanctuary, so I will do out here in the wilderness, and I will look and I will behold you. David's doing that without the new covenant, and he's foreshadowing what Christ has given us. And Jesus said that when he leaves, he's not going to leave us as orphans, but he's going to give us the Holy Spirit, as Samson talked about, being born of spirit. And so as followers of Jesus today... Uh, the Bible says in the New Testament that the sanctuary, the temple, we are the temple. And the Holy Spirit resides in us. So for us to look, to behold, to meditate on God, this Sunday, this is great. I love church. But the fact is, we get an opportunity, wherever we are, wherever the Holy Spirit inside of you now goes... To behold God, to look on him, and to be satisfied in him, just as David was in the wilderness outside of Jerusalem. And how much more true is that for us today? A million times more true. So David gives us an insight of what does it look like to actually do this. And he gives us those words. He gives us those practical words uh, for adoration and praise and satisfaction in him. He does this, again, I just want to look at the attitude of David as he's doing this, when, again, when anybody can be dissatisfied and and start to complain. It could be him, again, being chased down by this king who wants to murder you. And uh, he says says a couple things that that we can miss in the English that's covenant language. At the bottom of verse 1, he says, As a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, In Genesis, uh, there are a couple of promises given uh, to mankind and to Abraham talking about rich land and that land being filled with goodness, water. And here, David, he has received a promise from God that you are going to be king. No doubt, you are going to be king. And so he is showing us into his heart The fact that God said, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be a rich and plentiful and water-filled land, and I'm going to be king. When in reality right now, I'm in a desert. I am not king. And so what he's saying is, I have not seen the fulfillment of those promises being brought into play. And as he's seeing all of that, the reason, uh, the bedrock behind his praise, as he looks on those unfulfilled promises he, he bets his life uh, on verse three. He says, out of all of this, he says, I'm gonna behold you, I'm gonna praise you, why? The question is why, and here's the answer. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life. So life right now uh, is not the best. Life right now is kind of sucky. Life right now is not seeing the fulfillment of those promises that God has given But because he knows that God's love is not like the love of the people that are back in Jerusalem. That maybe even so good, it's not God's steadfast, unfailing love. Because he can look back and say, man, I miss uh, my brothers or my parents or the people who are with me. And even the men that are out there with him in the wilderness... But that love, however good that it is and that much that it is a blessing from God, is not even close to the steadfast love that he receives from God. That's why he can say it's better than life itself. So as David is meditating, as he's praising, as he's being satisfied in God, the the reason behind why he's able to do this is because God is faithful and God is the one who's able to fulfill his promises. So even though he's not king yet, even though he's out in the wilderness, even though he's being chased by Saul, wanting uh, to, be, to be killed, he's still looking at all those covenants who have yet to be fulfilled, and he knows one thing. He knows that God is faithful, and God will uh, complete the work that he has started. Uh, my question for you, as we uh, think about uh, verse 1, what are the things that we have thirsted, uh, sought after, yearned for besides God? Uh, because those things ultimately uh, don't lead to lasting satisfaction. It's all temporary. Uh, and in that, um, what, are, uh, what are the things that God has promised us as followers of Jesus that we have not yet seen uh, completely fulfilled? We, c- we can really come alongside David and every Christian that's ever lived Uh, to put on uh, that perspective because the promises that we as Christians have been given is that there will be an end to sin. Uh, I will never have road rage in heaven, (laughs) that there will be an end uh, to all sickness and disease. There won't be COVID in heaven. There's going to be an end uh, to all fighting. Uh, Talking about Juneteenth, racism, uh, any sort of hierarchy. Uh, there'll be hierarchy, God will be king. <laughs> uh, any sort of little petty human hierarchy that we have here. So all the things that dismantles us, uh, that won't be in heaven and God has promised that. It's a covenant and he has given us his spirit and He sealed us. Uh, do we see that fulfilled right here and right now? No, we don't. So how can we, just as David in the wilderness, because that's where we are right now, this isn't our home. Uh, the wilderness is not David's home. This earth, this here and now, this isn't our home. Uh, man, 50, 60, 70, 80, however years we get here, and we're gonna, be, uh, we're gonna be home where we belong. But right now, as we're in the wilderness, uh, how do we have the response that David has? Which is, it's a crazy response. If you walk by in this desert, where it's hot, and you see this dude praising God as he's being chased, the first thing that probably comes into your mind if you don't know what's going on is this dude is crazy. makes no sense. So, Christian, hear me. The fact that as we are on our way to glory, that we have the opportunity to praise God, some and a lot will probably think that you're nuts, but it's okay because we know where we're going. The wilderness um, I love how the New Testament talks about where we are now. We are sojourners, travelers, uh, pilgrims, in this body uh, that we have right now, it's our earthly tent, it's not final. Uh, but at the same time, because the danger in that is to get completely detached and to just think about heaven the whole time while having our feet off the floor and not living in the reality. I love that that's not what happens here. Uh, and it gets pretty practical um, on that fact. Uh, and this is, this, is, this is what he says uh, in the ending of the psalm that I think is gonna be really good for us uh, as we look towards the promises of God while being grounded in the life that God has called us to live right here, right now. He says, for you in verse seven, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life will go down into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will be a portion for jackals. But the king, talking about himself in third person, but the king, I, David, will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So throughout the psalm, He says, God, you're my God, I thirst for you. He has this vertical approach, and he recognizes that all of this down here can only outflow from the relationship that he has here. And again, God, hear me, God cannot satisfy you unless you thirst for him. And you cannot thirst for him unless the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work in your heart. And that's exactly what David is experiencing here. And as he's thirsting, being satisfied in God. He does not get his head caught up in the clouds, but he says that as he's praising him, as he's being satisfied in him, he says he will be satisfied with it as long as he lives, and that he will rejoice in God while all these things are happening. So he says this satisfied soul in verse 8 clings to God and that God's right hand upholds him. He just said, uh, at first, he said that he's going to open up his hands. I love how we, um, how we had uh, Caleb had the prayer of confession and meditation in the beginning, um, because, and he said to come to God with clean hands. Uh, when he says that he wants to, David, uh, lift up his hands, uh, the Old Testament symbol uh, for what, Open hands mean, uh, there's two things mainly. One is exactly what Caleb talked about. You're opening because you want to confess. You want to say, God, here's all of me. I'm not hiding any corners. Here's, here's all that I am. But two, the second is, again, what David says, you are my God and it's a sign of, uh, of reception and protection. So first, it's submission you are who you are and I bow before the king, but two, you are my king and I know that in your hands I'm secure. So as he says that, he says, as I'm doing that, I know that those people who want to take my life, uh, I'm going to be, he says, under the shadow of your wings. So as he's open-handedly trusting in God, he says that I know while this is correct, I'm under your protection, so the people who are going after my life, since I'm yours, they're not going after David. They're ultimately going up against God. So hear me, when we have this intimate, submissive, protective relationship with God, why in the world would we fear what can come up against us? Because those things that are coming up against us, they're not ultimately coming up against us. Uh, They're ultimately coming up against God. And David has joy being protected under the wings of God, which again makes no sense. He could be looking back and he could be scared. He could be confused. He can say that he has a lack of resources. He's young. Uh, He hasn't even become king yet. He's just got a couple of dudes with him out in there in the desert. And his first response is, God, I love you, I praise you, I trust you. And he's secure in that. So as we... Uh, learn to grow in our intimacy with God, I think the very practical way in which we model this prayer and model David's heart, which Jesus only echoes. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So again, the way that we model that and that we model uh, that heart, uh, I think it comes down to very practical things uh, that those uh, four words Can come into play into our life, which is beholding, meditating, um, earnestly seeking, and thirsting for. And uh, I remember when I was uh, in my wilderness of Judah, and I wasn't being unjustifiably chaste, I was living in sin. And I was in my wilderness, and I was thirsting for God, but I was wanting to be satisfied in things. Uh, other than God, and I remember when I first finally uh, entered into the supernatural relationship with the Holy Spirit through His Word. And uh, if you if you've tried to get over your sin by the way on your own efforts, uh, I hope you don't keep taking too long to realize that you can't do it. Uh, you'll never be able to do it. Let me tell you from experience, it can't be done. It's impossible. Uh, you're fighting against your flesh, uh, the world, and Satan. good luck with that. Uh, You're not going to be able to do it. When you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit as revealed through the word of God, and you are in intimate relationship with him, I remember I stopped trying to fight my sin, and I just started to be satisfied in God. And as that started to happen, God changes your desires, and you no longer want to thirst for those other things, but you want to thirst for God and him alone. But that Again, I wasn't just sitting, kicking rocks, waiting for the Holy Spirit to get me, and I wasn't faking it. I wasn't trying to manufacture it. It's practical looking, beholding, and he says, meditating. So my question for you um, is, do you have a pattern, or are you in some way actively pursuing a way uh, to build a pattern of shaping your life around this book? It has to be done. There's, there's no intimacy with God apart from his word. I promise you that. You can have a little feelings here and there. You can experience, I mean, people in the Middle East, I've heard experience dreams and stuff like that all the time. I don't know. I'm saying for us today who have the word of God, who have access to the word of God, and who have the ability to make time for the word of God, if we are not actively meditating, looking, and beholding, we are not going to thirst for him, and we're not going to be satisfied in him. That is a joy that we rob ourselves of. That I know I don't want to rob myself of. So that's uh, the question that I hope we can wrestle with uh, today. What are the things that you've been thirsting for uh, and yearning for, uh, and try to find satisfaction in besides God, and how, uh, yeah, how, how have you seen that in your life? I hope uh, the example of David gives us a good pattern for how we should pray and how we should establish our prayer life, both, uh, both corporately and individually, uh, which is uh, to thirst, the praise to be satisfied in, uh, and to ultimately, as he says here, the king will rejoice, uh, to rejoice and to rest in the fact uh, that God is God uh, and he will finish the work uh, that he starts. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Um, thank you that we get the model uh, from David. Uh, this young and experienced and the list of things go so on. Uh, but the thing that you saw in him was his heart. And his heart was after you. Um, would you give us a heart like David's? Would all the things that we uh, thirst for ultimately uh, are concerned about ultimately just just absolutely fade in comparison to you? Um, would you grow our love for you? Because it's only out of that intimate relationship, uh, powered through the Holy Spirit, uh, that we have the ability um, to love others, to serve others, um, and to witness to others, to Jesus. So God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.